What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Bra Meets World. But it's from it's ooh, it's actually an extra credit episode. It's an extra credit episode. This is Not our extra talking. credit episode of Nope. And heads up right now, this will be an all spoilers all the time episode. So if you have not seen the movie, please go check it out. Come back, listen to us, and let us know what you thought of the movie, because that's what we're about to do. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm Siege. And I'm Tony Curtis. Um, you know, Siege, I just want to quickly throw out there for those um, who are our traditional Brummie's World listeners that we do have season six in the works and that it will be dropping in a few weeks and that we're just taking a small detour because this movie came out and it was one of those things that we needed to talk about. And uh, I mean, I, I, I did we see uh, us or get out together or did we just talk about them? I think we talked about it, but... Uh, I also have something for the homework a little bit later that I'm excited to talk to you about. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, thank, thank you guys for going on the ride with us. And we hope you enjoyed this episode, uh, giving our reactions to Nope. Um, should we jump into Tell Me About It? Yeah, let's do the Tell Me About It. TC, what is Nope about? Okay. I'm not going to sing this one just because it, it, it's a little different than our usual episodes, but I will say that this movie is about two siblings who run a California horse ranch, um, discover something wonderful and sinister in their skies above, while the owner of an adjacent theme park tries to profit from the mysteries, mysterious otherworldly phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know what, just kind of like, like what we usually do, I just want to get your first thoughts. There's so much to cover in this episode, but like, we're going to start off with our first thoughts and just T, tell me what you thought about the movie. Um, okay. So I saw this movie Friday and the moment I left, I was like, okay, I want to see this movie again. Like, okay. I can't remember, honestly, probably like Encanto maybe it was like the, like I left the theater and I was immediately like, oh, I have to see this movie immediately right again. Um, so I didn't see it Saturday, but I saw it again Sunday night. Um, and honestly, like the first time I'm watching this movie, I just have so many questions. I'm trying to like look for clues. I'm like counterbalancing this, the narrative I'm constructing in my head with what's actually happening. So it was good for me to watch it a second time just to soak it in and view it as the story it was trying to tell versus me trying to figure out what's going on with it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely not as scary as his first two films, or at least us. Um, but it's 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 more of like a big, I don't know, it's almost like his version of like E.T. or Independence Day or something like that. Like it just feels so big and it feels like such a summer movie. And I'm so glad I saw it on IMAX. And um, I know we're gonna get into the details and everything. I loved all the actors in it. And I, I loved his take on this this genre that we've seen so many films from so um just it's, not to spoil anything yet i'll just leave it at that <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because um to me this is i also saw it twice i saw it thursday night um i saw it thursday night right when it came out i'm i've definitely i got that amc pass i've been doing that lately where if a movie is coming out i schedule my ticket weeks in advance and i make sure that i get to like be one of the first to see it um and then I saw it and I kind of left the theater being like, okay, what was that? Like, like that, like my, my whole reaction was like, what did I just watch? 
And I, I like, I, I did not leave my seat before I went online and I found a review yeah. and I was like, I need more info. I need more things to like help me wrap my head around what I just saw. And after I read the article, I actually was like, oh, you know what? I think I like this even more, but I will also say to me, if I have to do homework for your movie, I don't think it's a good movie. Like that's how I am. That's my reaction. But then I also saw it on Sunday with my fiance. And what's also really interesting about that is you get have, like kind of like previewing movies before I go see them with my fiance because he's always busy and just never has the time has been very interesting because I'll get like the day of crowd. And these are like movie fans. These are the people who collectively ooh, ah, and clap when the... um amc uh nicole kidman uh trailer comes out you know like these are i've memorized her speech i say it every time (laughs) along with her (laughs) exactly and that's what i'm saying so though that's like my thursday night first viewing and it always colors how i see the film because if you're having a really good movie experience oh you're like that movie was great but then i've been re-watching a lot of movies a second time with my fiance, which is usually in a smaller theater with like the mid afternoon crowd. Yeah. And it really does make you think, oh, wait a minute, was that scene funny? Or were we just all on the vibe? And and I feel like this is a movie where you should see it in IMAX. You should see it in like as big of a uh, venue as you can, because this is his spectacle movie i think he uses the word spectacle and i i think spectacle just is the right word for this film because everything about it is kind of like greater than but i'm also going to say from a story point of view i was like it also feels like it kind of reached a little bit further than it could grasp that's that's my reaction i will say that what's interesting about this is that uh I too had the opportunity to go Thursday night, but I specifically chose to go on Friday so I could go with a group of people. And the post, like when the movie goes dark and then all of us were just sitting there discussing our theories and our ideas, like that's what made me like, oh wait, I missed some like key stuff. Oh, I didn't put that together. And that's what made me want to rewatch it. And I don't, I will say that like, it did take like, like, decompressing like it it had it took like some analysis like some post-film analysis for me to get to like really figure out how I felt about the movie so I just thought it was interesting that you had a similar experience absolutely so I I will say like let's kind of like approach this in kind of like the three-act structure which is kind of like the movie and we're going to do so (laughs) oh can I can I just quickly throw in before we do that I just want to uh say that um obviously this was directed by Jordan Peele and um came out last week. It is, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 83%. IMDb gave it a 7.6. And Roger Ebert's website, which obviously, rest in peace, uh, gave it three and a half stars. So I just want to throw that out there that that's the general consensus of the critics' opinions of this movie as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's I've been telling everyone, if, if someone really were to ask me, I was like, this movie feels like it's a seven on its own. It's an eight with research. Like, if, like once you get those like yeah. extra materials, I'm like, oh, I'm down for the ride. There's so much, but like, 
I just, I need that added piece. And Jordan Peele does this thing with his movies. And I feel like in each movie, he's tried to be less obvious, but the less obvious he tries to be, the less fun I have. Like I like Get Out because it was overt. It's like, we're going to, there is no denying what we're saying. And I want you to know point blank. And this movie feels very much like a, I want you to think about what I'm saying. And you know, that, that may make it more rewatchable. If I'm being honest, it may be this movie that more and more people watch again and again, because they feel like they can uncover clues. But when you are in the theater, you're like, man, I really wish you had given me all the puzzle pieces instead of making me going to hunt for them. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I will say that, like, initially, my opinion was that I liked his other movies more. I'm still kind of uncertain about how I feel about this one in terms of, like, how it ranks with his other ones. But what I will say is that having watched all of his Twilight Zone episodes, I was much more prepared for the type of story that was being told. That kind of, like, ominous, we're not going to really give away what this really means. We're going to let you kind of figure it out. Like, he... All of his Twilight Zone episodes are very similar in that way. So I think I was just a little bit more ready for that kind of storytelling. Um, and, and I will say to his credit, I remember Jordan Peele was like, can I make a movie? You know, like, like he's like, can I make yeah. a, like, does it have to be uh, shoehorned in this like horror genre? I feel like one of the things about this film that kind of hinders it is the fact that it was like promoted as a Jordan Peele horror movie. Yeah. So when you go into any, as I said, expectation makes a lot of difference in how you receive a movie. And if you go in expecting a get out, you're going to walk away disappointed. I've gone up to people and I've been like, look at he's, this is way more close encounters. If you've seen the movie close encounters, this is way more closer to that only in a modern take in a more spectacular um, way. And I feel like for that, it's great. Um, Okay, so I will say this, that um, as part of the fun facts that I have for this movie, that Jordan Peele actually cited Close Encounters of the Third Kind, as well as King Kong, Jurassic Park, Wizard of Oz, and Signs as influences for this film. Um, And I would say that Signs is actually, I think, a little bit scarier than this movie, even though it's a much smaller movie in scope. Um, This movie, you know, it's it's you're right like close encounters is probably a better way to compare it in terms of like what to expect i immediately thought when you said that of m night Shyamalan um and the village that came out do you have you did you ever see the village yes okay so the village was marketed as m night Shyamalan, the director of sixth sense presents the village and if you go to watch the village it's not scary at all it's like his romance movie essentially and so like when I was watched it initially, I hated the movie because it didn't meet any of the expectations that the trailers had set for me. And then I rewatched it and I eventually grew to like it. But I, I see exactly what you mean in terms of how the movie's been marketed, how people w- might go in with the wrong expectations. Well, here, I'll, th- I'll throw out some other fun facts about this movie and then we can get into like the nitty gritty and, and stuff. But I will say this, we're just going to be getting into spoilers at this point, guys. If you haven't watched this movie yet, Go watch it. Take a recommendation <laughs> to just go see it. Um, and then definitely come back and, and listen to the rest of this. But um, some other fun facts is that uh, Stephen Young's character, um, who, uh, let me, what's his name? Uh, it's, Jupe? It's, yeah, it's Jupe, um, which is, I, oh, God, I, you're right. I literally just forgot it. Oh, Ricky Park. 
Ricky Park. Yes, 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 yes. Um, if you look closely, he has a large pair of metal scissors on his desk that are the same scissors prominently featured from the movie Us. Oh, okay, okay. Not only that, um, the fish restaurant that they eat in in the movie, you can also find that same fish restaurant's food bag featured in the movie Us as well. I think they're like eating it in passing or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, in the okay, so obviously we're going to get into what all this means, but in Gordy's home, that scene of the movie, um, the thing that he is signing to Ricky when he sees him right after he does what he does is what happened family confused oh, almost like what happened to the family it's an interesting thing um and the other thing that's really interesting is that gordy the ch the chimp is inspired by a true story called uh, uh um inspired by travis the tramp travis i'm sorry travis the chimp it's a true story real incident in which a woman's face was eaten off by a pet chimp in the late 90s and she eventually went on to appear on the Oprah Winfrey show, the Oprah shot. And when she was on the Oprah show, she had a veil over her face, much ah. like the woman in this movie has a veil over her face. So all of those things are kind of wrapped up into this. Um, but yeah, those are just the, the uh, some fun facts that I haven't really seen a lot of other people talk about that I wanted to, to throw in. And um, yeah, I guess we could just get into this movie um okay so so i have like uh, i had kind of like pulled it out the three act structures i have okay. first encounter the recording and then the shot so kind of like first encounter is like our setup really quick we're going to talk about the introduction we're going to do a little bit of our roll call where we talking about the actors who we meet and we're kind of meeting everyone's story and and then we're going to go into the recording, which is act two, really much when they are trying to, uh, of course, capture in the commentary that comes along there. Uh, and then there's the shot, which is like the finale and really talking about what what everything meant. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about that. Speaking of, let's when we do first encounter, we have to set up with our main two stars, who is Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. Let's Kiki just Palmer talk about- Kiki Palmer in a career-defining role, by the way. Like, like, this role was written for her, and she just brings everything to life. Like, I've always loved Kiki Palmer. Like, I, I know for white people, they're just now getting introduced <laughs> to Kiki Palmer. But, like, uh, to me, I just really am so proud to see her growth over the last, like, decade or so. And this role just really allows her to shine in a way I've never seen before. Absolutely. And so, let like, when we're talking about that, the movie itself... First of all, it opens up in a way that is so like I remember like it opens up on the shot of Gordy and all we see is a chimp on a soundstage covered in blood. And at first I really was like, am I in the wrong movie? What like what is going on? Same. But once you see that chimp kind of like walking around in blood, you're like, no, this is the I don't know where we are going with this. But something bad has happened, and I just, we got to see where we're going with it. And I thought that that was such a jarring way to open up the movie. And I'm really excited to talk about this part because I feel like it is one of the things that really does tell you what the movie is about. Yeah. And so many people miss the point of that scene. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Like, what did you think about just the opening shot? 
Sure, yeah. Like, okay, so what's really interesting is that when I was coming into this movie, I came in like a little late and that was on as I was walking in. I, I fucking tripped down the steps watching You gotta it get up there early, boy. So, I was so <laughs> taken back by what I was seeing and like, especially watching it a second time, I was really able to soak it in and, and understand its purpose. Cause when you initially watch it, you're like, what the hell does this bloody monkey have to do with this movie? And as the movie progresses, you see how Gordy plays a role in the bigger story, but also how he, as an animal who can't be tamed, mimics the overall themes of the movie as well. So I just, I really en enjoyed that cold open. Absolutely. And again, and I think it, it gives you the kind of like horror and suspense that you want, like right off the bat. And I feel like it gives you, it makes you tense right in the beginning. So when you are watching it, like the rest of the movie, you've already hit like this really high note. So you're like, where are we going with this? You're on edge because you've just seen something really crazy happen yeah and you don't have all the answers which is which is also really great so that also leads us to again as i said daniel kaluuya and kiki palmer let's talk about them let's talk about oj haywood and amaro haywood i have so much that i want to say a few things one oj's character is so interesting to me for a few reasons one i saw who daniel kaluuya what he was doing in his performance and i was like I know that black guy. I know yeah. exactly the type of black guy he's playing. 100%. I understand it. It is so dead on. And I was like, I wonder how many white people know that what that black guy because I don't feel like the whole point of that black guy is he's not out there. You mm -mm. don't encounter him unless you encounter him. And, and, he's, and he's like shy. He's not. He's not really open. He's kind of late. He's super laid back. Like it's really funny. I know a lot of these dudes in the South, like, and a lot of my uncles and stuff like that, like Southern black dudes, like just you know, hard workers, but just like they don't have, they don't want a lot of spotlight on them. And just like he played that role so perfectly and such a beautiful counterbalance to uh, Emerald, his sister too. Exactly. And then also, so a thing that I love about the uh, the OJ character is a few things. One, right off the back, they not she goes your name is oj and he goes mm -hmm. yeah and i was like all right we lead it into it that's like they're saying don't overlook that point it is actually supposed to reference that thing specifically and just going a little bit of my theory i was like when i watched it i was like oh this entire movie is about spectacle and about how we just we can't take our eyes away from what's happening on screen but by doing so we're missing the actual like event itself we are missing the purpose the humanity the nature of everything that's going on by trying to record the spectacle and that to me is so significant because for those of you who don't know the oj simpson trial changed how we cover true crime it changed the news how we it's, cover tragedy how we cover tragedy it yeah. is the first it was the first use of aerial cameras for the news so watching oj on the back of a bronco from a sky view is literally exactly what it's supposed to be and i was like oh i see you jordan peele and it's it's actually really really interesting to see like something like that level to me that that little bit of detail was so fantastic I, I thought the same thing. It was, it's funny too, because I spent the whole movie being like, why the hell did he name him OJ? And it wasn't until like, I was like, 
literally you could ask Miriam like that night I came home the entire drive I was just like oh I think this meant this and I think this meant this and eventually I was just like OJ 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 oh of course like when I think of OJ obviously I think of just like this giant spectacle and to your point like the the term spectacle comes up a lot Jordan Peele himself has voiced that he wanted to make a spectacle about a spectacle it's very meta in that way but yes naming him OJ was such a brilliant touch to like really um tie into the overall themes that we've seen throughout as well oh man yeah and so you get you get OJ and we meet him and he's you know like the moment that we meet him you see him and his father have like this really close dynamic his father is played by the great Keith the David. great Keith David and by the way did these motherfuckers not look like they could be father and son like oh absolutely I I was like, wow, they it's not only brilliant casting just to have Keith David involved, but to have someone who like him and Daniel kind of have a very quiet, um, like, I don't know, they, they were able to really like feel like father and son in this film, even though they had very few scenes together throughout. But it's also funny because as you said, with Keith David, I could see him having two children like this because he yeah. can be like that quiet presence and 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 kind of powerful, but he also even when he was like, "Where your sister?" It was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's the Kiki. That's the Kiki that we were about to get uh, yeah. a little bit." So it it makes sense. And um, you know, their um their father Keith David runs this Hollywood horse ranch, and um they kind of tell us in the very beginning, uh, this is after the the death of Keith David, which again is one of those things where it's like it takes you by surprise. You understand the tragedy. You understand this moment. And again, it's something like it's well, just and, life and has this, changed. This the tragedy that you're referring to is that while they were on the farm, suddenly a bunch of items started falling from the sky and a coin got lodged in Keith David's head behind his eye, which ultimately killed him. A coin fell from the sky and killed him yeah. randomly. They claim it was a uh, plane that had yeah. a, a mishap, but obviously we find out it's not. But yeah, I just wanted to name what that was because I do think the coin being the thing that killed him is part of the theme as well. Of okay, just like I'm what we're really willing excited. To, because it's just like, like, ultimately like they were willing to risk their lives for the shot they were willing yeah. to risk their lives for the coin and yeah. it's like oh okay so what are you really willing to risk for money and like to record the spectacle is like hey i'm choosing money over the preservation of my sanity or my health or whatever so like for him to die because of money and then for them to go on this whole journey in the pursuit of money is just really interesting to me. So, so fantastic. And that's a really, really good point. I've, I've heard something about like the idea of the leaving behind of uh, superficial things. Like it's not just the money, it's the money and keys. It's yeah. all of this like property, all of these, this capital that can't go anywhere. You can't take it with you, yeah. so to speak. Um, but yeah, after that tragedy, we get introduced to Emerald and immediately she comes in. We like, we've seen this scene in the commercial, but she is just such a presence and you immediately yeah. understand that OJ is the horse guy and Kiki is the, the salesman, the personality. Let's talk about Kiki a little bit. Well, here's the thing, uh, something I noticed on my second viewing um, later on when things are kind of going crazy in the house, she looks to a picture of a black woman, which is the only picture I'm assuming of her mother, but it's a headshot. 
meaning that her mother was an actress. So yeah. really between the showmanship of Keith David that we find out later, because there's a recording of him doing that same speech, and the fact that her mother's an actress really just goes to show that like she's kind of the entertainer of the group and she that's where she gets her chops from. And she tells this whole story about how their great, great, great grandfather was the first black man to ever be filmed on a, I'm sorry, the first person to ever be filmed in motion pictures. And he was a black man riding on a horse. That was their their great, great, great grandfather. So um, so for those of you who don't know, like, so as someone who like studied art and, and everything like this, when you do study motion pictures or everything, one of the first things that they talk about is this filming, how we all got to film as it is. For a little history lesson, um, it was actually a bet. Two individuals were betting whether or not a horse's feet leave the ground all at once um, when they're running. So someone said that they did, someone else said that they didn't. So they literally set up this apparatus to track horses racing and it took, a, it took a shot every few feet so that they could see exactly whether or not a horse's foot left. So again, it started over a bet and money and it just kind of, uh, it's, interesting. it's always been about proving something. But what's interesting to me about that is for years, I have seen this photo and I've seen this collection of photos that started the movie industry. And I have never noticed the black man on the back of the horse because the story is told about the horse. Yeah. And so, you know, about the guy who took the film, you know, about the horse it's even called, I think it's called Annie G runs or something like that, which is the name of the horse. Yeah. But there is no no history and no record of the man who was on the back of that horse. And as Kiki points out, which I think is really great for Jordan Peele to himself call out, this is the first actor, the first horse, like animal trainer, the stunt first man. stunt man. Like this, this guy should be legendary in our history because he's the first to do all of these things. Yes, accidentally, but no matter what, he is the absolute first and no one knows his name. And that to me is such, that's what this movie is also really- You could to. you could almost say that Hollywood sucked him up and chewed him up and spit him out. Absolutely. Like, I like, not only that, which is a great way of putting that, and I love that you've used that phrasing, but to me, this movie really hits on how Hollywood- just exploits animals and people of color and they will make profit off of them and like it's all just this cycle but it totally discards all of them as if they're not living creatures as if they don't have lives and families and all these other things they're just commodities to be profited from and I thought that that was such a good like this is what Jordan Peele said has what Jordan Pill said essentially was, it's been this way since the beginning. Yeah. And, and you know, it's really interesting because you're right. Like the way that humans are treated in this movie, especially, you know, OJ in the beginning, and you look at the way that animals are treated throughout the movie, you know, there is this kind of overlap of, hey, the way we treat animals is very reflective of the way we see ourselves and the way we treat other people that we deem to be humans. And, uh, you know, 
even the way that they approach OJ and they talk to OJ when he's on the film set is very just like, oh, he's this this horse guy. Like they don't even bother like to say his name. So like the respect isn't there and it's just very consistently portrayed throughout the film. Um, but yeah, I also made the link between animals and, and minorities in this film and how they're treated because I don't know if you realize this, but our heroes are, are two, uh, brother and sister, black. We also have uh, uh, Stephen Young, Asian. And then we have Angel, the... Spanish, you know, IT guy, you know, these are minorities trying to film their way into fortune. So this is like really capitalizing on this idea of minorities really breaking into the film industry and making a voice for their own and getting a shot of their own too. Absolutely. I don't know why I try to do narrative structure. You always jump all over the I'm place. So but sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but anyway, just try, trying, to, trying to keep up with the movie sure, sure. Uh, and just speaking about it. We've meet, met this family who has a history in Hollywood. And again, you would think that they would be legends themselves, but they are still just trying to make it. And without their father figure uh, to take the lead, they don't even have that. They don't even have like their way in. Their father has done everything that he could to kind of extend his family's legacy and to get them into the movies. And as usual, right before he's supposed to get his shot, he gets got. And, and I something about what? this as well is that the dad is seen as being this hard worker who is pretty strict with their kids, especially on um, OJ's character, really getting him involved with the ranch. And now that the dad has passed, all of this responsibility is on OJ and Emerald doesn't really feel... She doesn't have this urge to be responsible. She doesn't have this urge to take care of the horses or the farm or any of that. All of this is kind of falling on OJ's shoulders in a way um, un until obviously the, the events unfold in the movie. So what's interesting to, uh, to that point, to me anyway, is Kiki or Emerald doesn't feel that way because she got excluded from it. She says, yeah. I was supposed to be involved and dad excluded me. So yes, this is OJ's burden and he has to kind of carry it on his own because his father gave it to him and yeah. Emerald was just left out of the picture. So for Emerald, as far as she's concerned, why should she be as invested? This was something that you and dad always did together. So this is, this is yours. And you know what I'm going to take? I'm going to take the showmanship. I'm going to take the legacy. And that's, as you said, it, like that's a really good point about the headshot because it says that her, what she connects to with her family is being the people on camera, being yeah. the talent. That is what she sees. And that's what she's good at. And I think that Kiki does such a great job at being like this presence that you don't want to look away from. Very much like... Um, everything else that we are supposed to be watching, including the very first film, it, she's just so dynamic that you want to watch her more. And the fact that she knows that that is her strength as Emerald is to me very telling of like how they both have different intelligence. Ke uh, Emerald right. knows what people want to see and OJ knows how to treat the talent. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I was going to say the other thing about Kiki Palmer is, doesn't she remind you of Black women you actually know in real life? Oh, like, absolutely. She was just, she's just like, she was so her 
in a film that was so large in the life. Like I was surrounded by so many white people watching this movie. And when she she was talking, I know I'm skipping ahead, but when she's talking about the cin cinematographer and she's like, this nigga, I was just like, oh my God, that's so funny. But it made everyone, I could feel it making people uncomfortable. But like, I just love that Jordan Peele was like, no, I'm going to show black people as they are actually. So that's so funny that you say that because in my theater, like when she said that everyone laughed and I was like, like for me, I'm interested <laughs> to see who configures this as their favorite Jordan Peele movie. Cause I'm like, this is, do you just like the fact that they say a nigga? Like, like it just yeah, you know, yeah, it yeah. felt to me like a lot of people were like on board because they are getting like, they're a black person who says nigga. They're a black person who's not afraid to kind of just be what they think black is. But yeah. as you said, the difference is with Kiki, it's so authentic and yeah. she's so dynamic. Like I oft, I really do feel every time she's on screen, I'm just like, we're watching a star. I don't know yeah. how to explain it, but like I feel like in any multiverse, Kiki Palmer would have been somebody. And, and to your point about her just being so authentic is that if there were if this was poorly casted this could have easily been a sassy black woman role it could have easily been something that didn't have the depth and the dimension that she gave it and i'm sure a lot of that was on the page initially with jordan peele's script but she just really was able to like like i thought just bring stuff to life and even as i've watched interviews of jordan peele talking he's like dude i just let her improv because she was just so brave that i just let the camera roll let her do a few takes every take was something different and i didn't know what to choose from because they were all wonderful so i mean that's just her talent i'm gonna say like a couple of my favorite parts is uh we haven't gotten there yet but like five stars angels five. like it is one of those stars. like you know what like i know what you want just leave and then yeah, also yeah. when she was like um specifically talking to him and angel who we will be talking about in a little bit um starts like saying something she's like you don't you don't live here stop talking <laughs> like she her interaction with every single character is like she she both leads the relationship in every single dynamic she's in, but she also gives life to every single dynamic she's in. Right in there. Right from Kiki, we leave them leaving the soundstage, which again, I think what's interesting about the kind of like the opener, I can't believe we're still on the opener, but yeah. a lot happens in this movie and then also a lot doesn't. But when we're leaving the, the shoot, it is this idea of the kind of new cinema easily replacing again the actual the physical tangible like they're they're replacing the physical horse who by the way they never respected <laughs> and and they were surprised when it behaved the way that it did um they're replacing it with like vfx effects and i thought that was a very very interesting commentary again on how it's just so much easier to not deal with reality yeah, that, that's and it and it's probably in some ways either cheaper or in their mind worth the money. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and also kind of a commentary on you know all of these people who dedicated their lives to serving the film industry in some way or another that are being replaced because we can do everything on the computer. So, um, such yeah, a good just, point. Yeah. So we leave that shoot and then we immediately go to Jupe's claim which is the theme part, kind of like interactive country part, um, run by Steven Yoon, which, as you said earlier, is plays Ricky Jupe 
Park. Let's talk about this guy's character because there is a lot to me. I think making him Asian is always interesting because it's so easy to make characters like this, like a, a, a white person. But to me, to give a role that would traditionally be a white person to an Asian person is a commentary in and of itself. And I'm very, very interested to see what your thoughts are. There. Well, I do have thoughts on this because I thought that like Ricky Park or Jupe, whatever you want to call him, his story is so interesting because the thing I thought about in the first scene where you, you see um, Emerald and OJ at the studio, like trying to succeed in this industry that's kind of throwing them aside is I saw people of color trying to succeed in the white world. Mm -hmm. And when you're introduced to Ricky Park, Jupe, you see this Asian cowboy you see a man who has a white wife, a white family. And when he was on television, he was even with a white family as well. Like he was constantly surrounded by white people the entire time that he was in the business. So I just I just thought that was a really interesting like connection because trying to succeed in the white world is something that I thought about the entire first act. And when I was introduced to him, I was just like, wow, that, that really sets in as well. Um, also just really quick, it's called, he's called Jupe. And that is a reference to uh, his name, Jupiter, which was what he played as a kid sheriff at the movie yeah. he was in. Um, but the park is called Jupiter's claim. And when yep. you think about Jupiter making a claim on some land, you can put the connection on why, if this thing was from Jupiter, like that, that kind of what that name kind of represents. Um, you know, we're introduced to him and we're also introduced to his backstory as a child star, which I, I mean, do you want to start? Yeah, let's, let's talk yeah. about Gordy's yeah, home. Yeah. You know, so um, my whole thing is that is so um, in at this part of the movie, we, we hear Kiki in his office discover like this mad TV, mad magazine cover that reminds us the audience of what we had seen at the beginning of the film, which oh. is it's a photo of a chimp who has gone like, like it's just, I don't know. It's unexplicable, but you understand that this is a reference. And yeah. then, so what happens is, Ricky starts to tell the story about what happened because Kiki's like, what really happened? So we're supposed to, we are thinking that we're going to get a true life understanding of what went down. But Ricky instead tells this whole other story. He's like, oh, SNL really got it down. And he goes into like this whole detached moment. And then we see, we go back to where we were on the soundstage and we see that um, Ricky, young Ricky, was actually under the table at the time that the chimp went mad. And again, it was a situation where they had this wild animal on set. No one was really handling and or paying attention or thinking about how that animal would behave. A balloon pops, the chimp goes crazy, and he literally just starts murking people. And yeah. it's this really crazy moment because you're like, you can imagine the chaos. And if you look, there are certain people still in the stands. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like this, it's, to me, it's one of the hardest parts of the movie to watch. Definitely. It's one of the scariest parts of the movie to watch. Um, but you get like this really big intensity that comes and then you understand from the kind of flashback that in the show, the, the young boy and the chimp had like a dynamic. They were like friends. 
And so oh, well, they he... actually don't show this yet. Like they just show, and, and when he's talking about the SNL thing, they just do a quick flashback. It's not until later in the movie that we get the full Gordy story. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm just kind of like talking yeah, about yeah, Gordy's yeah. at this point in time. But all of this was to say that what we go to understand is that the chimp sees him and we are automatically scared for this little boy because this, this chimp has gone around and he is just everyone he's going and attacking and we see this little boy and the chip recognizes him so what's interesting here kind of like playing off of the kind of themes of the movie is someone pointed out like there is a veil over in between them so the chimp knows that he's there but he can't look him in the eye he can't see his eyes he can't see his eyes and that is significant but then also the chimp kind of goes back to what he's been trained to do a little bit. And he, he goes to connect with him a little bit with the fist bump, and, which is like their signature move. And again, it's this really terrifying moment because it's pure danger, but it's also like this moment of connection. And then the, the chimp gets got. And we, we understand that the tragedy that this little boy actually experienced, but the grown man is so disconnected from it. And I really want to hear your thoughts about that. Well, yeah, I mean, him going through a, a shot by shot detail of an SNL sketch instead of actually talking about the thing that's traumatizing him was really interesting. Um, you know, uh, just a little bit about that Gordy scene that I thought was really brilliant from a filmmaking perspective is that, you know, even though we see this chimp covered in blood, we don't actually see him inflicting violence on anyone. It's all kind of like camera angles and things are behind him. We see actions, but we never actually see like anything as grotesque as like a chimp actually eating a person or like beating a person to death. But we see like the actions from behind a couch or things like that, which to me are so much scarier. So yeah. much scarier this idea of being a kid and you're hearing these noises and you see blood splatter and you can't know what's going on. You know, and the reason why I keep calling this movie his jaws is because this idea of like, hey, I'm going to show you so little of this until like it gets to a point where I have to show you all of it. And we see that with the UFO. We also see that with Gordy as well in terms of just the violence that that's going on. But um, the thing I thought was really interesting is that, you know, even though Ricky is traumatized by this, you're right. He's detached from it. He plays it up. And now he has to turn that tragedy into a spectacle that he can receive profit from, which is why he has this room full of memorabilia, which is why he's charging random couples from Sweden to spend the night there, because he is able to get profit off of this tragedy and make it a spectacle, which ties into that theme as well. Absolutely. And speaking of um, speaking of profit, so what? how we even end up here is we find out that OJ has been selling off horses to Ricky yeah. in order to like help Ricky with his Western-themed um theme park not knowing what we especially on rewatch realize is that ricky has been feeding the horses to something and so what we realize later on is that ricky even though and to me it's a it's a great commentary on like this black dude being like okay you know what i'm gonna work to get my horses back and i'm gonna put my family back in time and the whole time 
Ricky is giving him this idea that he can even do so, knowing that that's not even a possibility. Yeah, he straight up asked Ricky, hey, I'd like to like set up a program to buy some of these horses back. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Which yeah. again, oh, oh, Gordy's home, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that instead. Like very, immediately very moves much. on. Uh, uh, kind of like just a rehashing of like how it is to be a black person in the industry. You're just told lies constantly and you're kind of given this hope that's not really there. And I just thought that was very interesting. So all of this brings us to what we've kind of been talking about, which is OJ eventually encounters one night while he's trying to get a horse uh, that has escaped. He encounters something spectacular something I like mean, can we just call it jean jacket like we're at the spoiler yeah. point right yeah, yeah okay okay jean jacket it's our, our first yeah. appearance of jean jacket which is the animal which we later find out oj identifies is an animal that looks like a ufo can i can i just say something about that real fast i think that in terms of just like hey i'm going to go see a ufo movie this trailer has set me up to see this ufo movie the fact that jordan peele's so brilliantly switched it from like a mechanical ship to an animal was the is the kind of the twist of the movie it's the thing that i didn't put together i was expecting it to be a ship i was expecting aliens i was expecting all of that shit that i've seen a thousand times before to switch it to an alien and not only to switch switch it to something organic like an alien but to almost explain the idea of a ufo to say like hey this is the shape of this thing and why it looks the way it does hey it hides in the clouds so it can be still and it's you can it's around but you can't see it and it kind of explains why and also i love love the idea of a ufo whatever you want to call jean jacket sucking up people almost through like a sandstorm something that's so a dust storm something that's so organic that's so natural that can happen it being like oh hey this is actually how this has been able to do this for this long and we haven't put two and two together because it's just sand going up into a cloud so i just thought the way he made it so organic and made like the animal and kind of amongst nature in a way and using nature to feed the animal was just really brilliant and on his part well what was interesting to me was i was surprised that we got to see it so early on i was like oh they are showing us the what i what we think is a ufo yeah i was so like surprised that we got that reveal early on but it's because later on it is revealed that it's not like an, a, a ship carrying around tiny little men. Again, we're so self-centered in how we would operate that we yeah. feel and we assume that everything operates under our same assumption. Well, well, to that point, the film almost kind of like gives us a red herring in that way because when we're introduced to Angel Torres, um, who is the uh, Fry's electronic guy, he's the one saying like, hey, you know, they want to shove metal probes up our asses, the little green guys with the eyes. Like he is setting a picture for like a ship with aliens that we recognize. And even Jupe has monopolized on this saying like, hey, I these visitors, these watchers, these viewers, he has, you know, fucking alien stuff everywhere, costumes for his kids. Like they really play into this idea that, hey, you're going to see an alien. But what you actually realize is that the ship is an alien itself. And I just I just thought that was a great Absolutely. twist. And we don't get it until like two thirds of the way through the film or something like that. Like it really comes later on. So what's interesting to me is someone has put out the theory that this is like, it's not even maybe, it's possible because we don't know and we we don't know anything about this creature that it's not even from outer space. They said they called it like a kaiju. 
like 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 a kaiju movie this is a kaiju movie which for those of you who don't know that's like godzilla this is a creature that has always been here it's always been on earth and it's just been minding its business and it's just been doing its own thing and it's this huge larger than life creature that happened to claim territory on this land why because as with most animals they tell you don't feed the animals because they they start to they start to expect it it starts to be their territory they don't leave and now you have a problem because you have this beast that you don't really know what how to how to handle it or how to take care of it and i thought that that like having the reveal be that it's actually an animal is fantastic. Not only does it relate it back to our main characters who literally run a a whole training facility on how to kind of like break in and train animals, but it also shows that this is a creature that is going to be unpredictable. And and much like um, you know the actors that were in the opening act with the horse, or even the other people in Gordy's home, you know. Uh, Jupe believes that he's able to train this animal. He feels like he has this connection to this animal, but as we see, like it takes skill to train an animal. It takes skill to understand an animal. And perhaps had there been someone like OJ on the set of Gordy's home, there wouldn't have been the incident that there was. And it just goes to prove how important the skill set that's been pushed to him by his father comes to play into the to the uh, the arc of the film. Well, to that point, what I think is interesting, just kind of like and speaking of that, is that with OJ, um, he he respects the animal. He's yeah. not like like they understand the animal is and and don't get me wrong they're trying to kind of like take a photo of it but they're also not trying they're not willingly trying to interact with it the same way that uh ricky ricky is is trying to kind of use it specifically for his his show and and he wants it to be part of like if you look in his office there's a poster for a reality tv show coming later and it's like ricky wants to monetize it he doesn't respect it for the creature that it is Mm -hmm. he wants to get it on his schedule he wanted to be on his page because as you said he is he has learned what it is to be a success and what it takes to be a success in this uh, in this environment, and that is domination. That is control. That is staking a claim over something yeah. that actually doesn't belong to you. Whereas OJ understands, he gets almost immediately. If this is in fact an animal, then we need to treat it with the respect because animals are unpredictable and they are the most dangerous. So, so two things. Um, the first being that you know, being from Orlando, I could not help but to think of fucking SeaWorld when I saw um, the Jupiter's claim scene um, because of this idea of trying to train a a wild animal and shit going wrong in front of an audience and things like that. Um, Building a show around a wild animal, trusting it to behave when it's supposed to come. Oh, they're early. Did not expect that. Yeah, of course you didn't expect it. They don't have a a watch. Like, this is ridiculous. but the, I, like, the thing I loved about, um, and you brought it up in the Gordy flashback of the fist bump, is that, like, you know, Ricky goes on to say, like, hey, you know, they trust me. If they didn't trust me, we wouldn't be, I don't think we would be here. Which I think is his takeaway 
from the incident, he's like, that animal trusted me. And if he didn't trust me, I would have been gone like everyone else. So I know I can do this. Like I have a connection with these beasts. And it just honestly leads to a lot of false assumptions about how it's, you know, how it behaves. Well, I think that, as you said, I think that that's kind of like a commentary on people. Like, I've seen so many things, especially like you watch TikTok or whatever. So many people think that their one experience makes them an expert. Like, they had this one interaction. He had this one really, um, to be honest, he had like this one improbable outcome. And so he thought of himself an expert and it's like no the, like every creature is different just because you're good at this one thing does not mean you're going to be good at another thing just because this didn't happen today doesn't mean it won't happen tomorrow but when you try like there's so many people who think that they can control nature and they can get nature on their page and this whole movie is like no nature's going to be nature and yeah. at some point in time you are going to have to give it its respect or pay the consequences all right, um, so we did kind of you you talked on yeah, it. Yeah. I, I want to hit on a few more things before we sure, sure. wrap up, yeah, yeah. which is one you brought up Angel uh, Torres, who's played by Brandon Perea, who I totally enjoy. He is one of those people who I wouldn't say he like quite steals every scene, but he is a great number two. Like he has the energy that um, Kiki has. He is giving us like. Cons- conspiracy theories with OJ but like he he has kind of like this kind of like settled nature to him that even though he's man he also is with like just like AJ where he accepts the reality that he's in now and then is just ready to move forward yeah and I also think he does a great job of just portraying like that do that best by that doesn't give a fuck about his job like he's yeah. so good at just giving that off and he kind of plays that throughout the film too but you know it's actually to his credit he's the one who spots the cloud that doesn't yeah. move which by the way such a cool scene to see that one cloud not moving and like i actually got like a little bit of goosebumps when i realized what i was watching when he showed the footage um I just thought that was a really cool scene. Um, But yeah, he's the one who like is the most into extraterrestrials out of the group. Yeah, but I think like what's interesting with him is when we kind of meet his character, not only does he like not have like a lot of going on, but he is someone who is paying attention. He's willing, again, he's willing to believe the outrageous. He's willing to observe and, and really spot things that not everyone else is picking up on. And he has kind of almost like this, intuition like he's one of those guys who i feel like you're never right but you're not far from the truth like that's kind of like what i get from him like for even like when we see uh later in the movie there's this whole scene with uh antler holst who i'm gonna bring up next uh, yeah they get to come and and film there's this scene where he sees what happens to antlers and he's like not me (laughs) you know i'm I'm like i'm going to like i I don't know if this will work but I, I'm going to try something outrageous because that's the only thing that I can think of to survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was actually going to ask you, like, how much of, like, the, the middle sections we want to cover. Because I, I actually don't think, other than that Gordy flashback scene, there's a whole lot there that I want to point out. The one thing I do want to say about this movie is that um, throughout the film, there's, like, 
five title sequences that happen. So the first one is just nope. And the second one is like ghost. And then we see this horse and then it, it gets sucked up into jean jacket. And then we see a second horse name. I forget what it was. And then that one gets set up um, with some kind of Clover, violent outcome. Clover, Clover, yes. Okay, okay. And then we see Gordy which is the flashback to the Gordy's home scene. So by the time we see Jean Jacket pop up on the screen, like in terms of building tension throughout the film, when I saw that like, oh, we're about to attack fucking Jean Jacket now, like we're getting to it, I got super excited. So I just thought that was a great way to build tension throughout the film by having those like almost chapters of, of the movie. Absolutely. And speaking of like chapters uh, and, and kind of like the, the tail end of it, like I said, we did first encounter, we talked about them trying to capture the, the animal in, in real life. Um, and then we get the shot, which is basically their whole pursuit to kind of get this thing on film. And you, you talked about it a lot and I want to just kind of break it down a little bit. One, you have the idea of why they're doing this. The Oprah shot, as yeah. uh, Emerald says. They are doing this because they need money and as far as um, Emerald's character is concerned, getting something that no one has ever seen before is a great way to get cash flow. But as we said earlier, when you do that and you risk it all to get this shot, I think a really big part of this movie is, is it all worth it? Like, what yeah. are you willing to give up to get fame and fortune? And that's what their Definitely. pursuit is. And they like, you know, they, some of them have like very admirable reasons. Like, um, Kiki, she wants to make a name for herself, and that's very true to her. And OJ just wants to keep his parents' legacy alive. That's true to them. But at a certain point in time, they realize that all of that is worth nothing if you lose your life. Um, something else about that that I thought, would, like when we're talking about like the Oprah shot, is like throughout the film, they kind of talk about what it means for them specifically to own the footage it's like we have to get this before they get it yeah. and like that whole idea of what it means to have ownership over something as a minority especially in hollywood like to have an ip that you own something like that before they come and get it or they like tmz shows up or whatever in the in the, the course of the film but just the the allegory of what that meant for them to own for a black family to own this thing versus you know and trying to beat essentially you know, everyone else to it, I just thought was really interesting as well. Okay, the, which is perfect. I love that. So I wanted to talk about the TMZ shot because the TMZ okay. shot is actually really amazing. What I was listening to a podcast on this movie and someone actually used to work at TMZ and he was like, what you don't understand is that's how that's how it is because that is your livelihood. Like he was like, there was once someone who was sent to a location to get a particular shot. They didn't get the shot and they were fired immediately. Like, yeah. so, so that, that guy from TMZ, a showing up and being like, Hey, I'm going to investigate this. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit out of the frame. We're just going to go there and we're going to see if we can be the, and even though this family lives there and trying to report it, if a platform like TMZ is even nearby, you're, you're second rate. You're nothing. So you are yeah. competing with the big dogs. But then also the idea that he ignores all the warnings, goes okay. in anyway, all very things that we know about TMZ. And then when his life is on the line, he is still like, but I have to get the shot again. Yeah. 
it takes me back to that is it all worth it mentality and unfortunately because of the capitalistic system that we're in for a lot of people it is um one uh detail that i really loved about the tmz scene is that the uh he's, he's riding a motorcycle and he's wearing a helmet that's almost identical to the object that they showed to lucky at the beginning of the film that made him freak out so just like oh, that's such that, a good get like that like thing of just like it bothered lucky so like in that same way it bothered jean jacket i just thought was interesting too absolutely oh and okay. i'm sorry I, can i just quickly because we kind of skipped over the lucky chapter that kind of goes through here and that's when jean jacket actually shows up and like swallows a crowd whole and i just i know i, I we skipped over that and i just want to quickly talk about that scene because as someone with claustrophobia that freaked me the hell out. The whole going inside of Jean Jacket, like people realizing that it's not a ship and that they're getting like eaten alive. The whole premise that the sound that Jean Jacket makes as it flies around is actually the screams of people getting eaten alive. All of that was so cool to me and like such an original idea that I just I've never seen um claustrophobia played in like that and I don't know if that's just because I struggle with that that I noticed it but I just thought that that was something that really like made the hairs on my neck stand up that's actually a good because I'm not claustrophobic so I didn't see it that way but I did find I found it very unnerving this idea of being in the belly of the beast literally yeah and and what's even crazier is it's like, it's not just you, it's you and everyone. So like, you can't even fight it because it's not like, yeah. it's not you against the beast. It's everything and everyone's in your way. And it's, I don't, I don't know. It's very, very much like a very interesting scene. And also like, I think for me, it's the very first time that we really think I've really thought of the consequences yeah. of what happened. Cause I was like, oh, those people aren't coming back. And that, that was like disturbing in and of itself. I was yeah. like, oh shit, it's, it's, I, I was guilty of it. When the horses were disappearing, I was like, oh man, that's fucked up. But when like the whole crowd, all these people who just came to see a show, when they get caught up in it, I'm like, oh man, that's, that's actually like such a tragedy, you know? I mean, you participate in a spectacle, you take the risk. Um, you take the risk. That's a, a great a great way of putting it. But I also feel like there's something to be said about like not knowing that you're taking yeah, the risk. Definitely. Um, one quick thing, because I know we're, we're trying to get to the end of the film, but I just have to say that my favorite shot in this whole movie, Jean Jacket just sucked up a crowd of people and he's feeling territorial at this point and he goes over the house while um, Emerald and Angel are inside and starts raining blood and guts on top of the house. It's my favorite shot of the whole movie. It's such a cool image of just a house being just like rain of blood, just like pouring down over the house. I just thought that was so damn cool and something I hadn't I hadn't seen before. So what's funny to that is like on top of that, you also get the idea of it's it's when we get like the signature nope. You know, it's yeah. like it's like it's when we get that scene where OJ is in the car and he's like, nah, 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 I'm not doing nah, this, nah. I'm not leaving it yet. <laughs> and and it's it is like this crazy, it felt very Hitchcockian in that yeah. moment of like you're seeing like the blood go out. Like as you said, a lot of this is like it's in your imagination. You don't know what's going on, yeah. but everything's loud and everything's dark, and you have like screaming this creature that is out there 
And I, I thought I thought that was really great. Um, one one more person just on our roll call to kind of like wrap yeah, this yeah. up. I wanted to speak to is Michael Woodcock as Antler Holst, who yeah, yeah. is the uh, cinematographer that they get. He was on their first call at the commercial that they were shooting and then he eventually he at first isn't interested because again even though he does one for them one they don't have their act together and he's like you know what i know what you're going for and what he says he's like this dream that you're chasing you never wake up from that to me was like someone who's like hey i've made it and i know what you're trying to get you're like unknowingly you're trying to claim this beast you're trying to get your great white whale and i'm gonna let you know it's not worth it yeah like that that's what i got from him so when you see him again later on and he's part of the team and he's going to shoot the film and and even later on when he actually captures it i think that what you understand is this is a man who understood that this we don't deserve the spectacle, yeah. as he said, yeah. we don't deserve this kind of experience because we won't appreciate it. We'll just Definitely. monetize it. And I, I saw an old man who has just kind of been through the ringer. And I, I loved um, Michael Wincott's performance. His voice is so interesting. And I think it really does His- add... Only he could do like a creepy reading of Flying Purple People Eater that yeah. like made my skin crawl. I was just like, oh my God, that song has a whole new meaning now. <laughs> his dedication to his art being the thing that ultimately kills him and us wondering like, well, was it even worth it for him to have this shot that no one maybe will see? Like that whole concept too, I thought is really interesting in terms of just like, okay, we're talking about the people who do this for money. Now the people who do this for art are also struggling as well to capture the spectacle. Well, yeah. And, and well, the, I think the great way of putting that, like the people who do this, who they're not doing this for money. He's already wealthy. He's, but it still ends with a sacrifice yeah. because at a certain point in time, the call of the shot is still overwhelming. He still yeah. wants to be the person who gets the shot, the has the close encounter. And that even like itself, you have to know your limits. And I think just kind of like to wrap up both the summary of the movie and the movie itself, it ends with our main characters. As I said, it ends with angel being like you know what i don't i don't want to be as close to this as i thought i was he kind of ties himself down and he's willing to to hurt himself to make sure that he is kind of like linked in to this barbed wire fence which is not easy to do but at that point in time he's not worried about the camera he's not worried about capturing it's just survival and i think that's really telling go ahead With him, that's interesting. The thing about Angel that I really think is interesting is that while we have someone who's dedicated, you know, to art and we have people who are dedicated to money, at some point, Angel's like, hey, this is going to help people, right? Like, there's going to be a bigger purpose to this than just the show or the business, right? Like, it has to be something more than show or business. Like, we're going to do this for the betterment of mankind, hopefully. And so the idea that, like, he was the one who was, like, looking for a deeper meaning for it was interesting as well. That is, but I think it's it's interesting that he was looking for that, but I also think it's interesting that he is the first to kind of abandon the mission. He is the first (laughs) to be like, you know what? (laughs) Well, yes, he probably recognizes it's not worth it. Exactly. And then we get 
uh, OJ and Kiki, and what they uh, and Emerald. Sorry, it's yeah. been so hard for me to, to sure, keep sure. on our Emerald. But OJ and Emerald, who they themselves at this point in time, they've lost their house, they've lost so many of their horses, and all they have left are each other. And even though Kiki Emerald gets the the winning shot, she goes back. She uses the wishing well. She takes the photo. She gets the scene. You can also tell that that was less about getting the shot and more about protecting her brother. Her family was what was what it was all for. I, you know I, that's interesting because I I have to say that like I I wondered if she wondered if it was worth it. Like when she finally gets the the picture at the end. Like when she's standing there, and we can kind of get into whether OJ lives or dies, but um, just her I've wondering, heard that theory. I don't like it. I, I well, I, it kind of can make sense as well, but just wondering, like, everything it took to get it. I'm sure there's a feeling of satisfaction, but at the same time now, she has to turn her trauma into spectacle. Like, this is now her job to do the same thing Ricky did in, 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 throughout the movie. So I just thought that was interesting, too. But I also feel like it would be in a different way. Like I said, yeah. like, like the Haywoods approach to it was way less, let's get this creature and kind, and kind of tame it for our own good. And no, we were here, and now we're gone. Like, like <laughs> we no, no, came, no. we saw, we dipped. Yeah, and, totally. And that's... I Oh, I was just going to say the the link I'm making to Ricky is he having to turn his trauma into profit in terms of what happened at Gordy's. Like his relationship with Gordy was the thing that he had to turn into a spectacle, his trauma. And that's the thing that really, regardless of whether OJ lives or dies, Emerald will have to end up turning this into a spectacle. I mean, I think if anything, it's... It's already a spectacle, as we saw with all the camera crews and everything that shows up right after. It's like, it's already there. We've already crossed that threshold. What this is really about is how will she handle, but also we know that she's kind of coming to her own at this point in time. She went from someone who was kind of seeking the fame and the attention and the shot and something that I noticed and, and I had pointed out to me as well is that in the final scene, she doesn't look to see if the camera developed and if she got the shot. Yeah. She looks off to see her brother. And that's the thing. And that, to me, again, it's why it's saying, it's like, yeah, she got it. They got what they came for. But that was also just kind of like a means to an end. And that was the way that they defeated the monster. But in reality, the the thing that she valued the most was her brother and her family and her and that being their legacy. And also, I mean, in terms of a character arc, she went from someone who really didn't want to take any responsibilities to someone who really had to take responsibility over her life without the help of her father and brother at the end. Like, she really had to prove it, that she could do it on her own, which is something that she kind of was reluctant to do throughout the film. Which is why it's called, like, why they named the alien jean jacket. This was her beast to tame. Yeah, definitely. And it's really, it, it is, like, poetic that she gets to be the one who captures it and kind of defeats it in the end. Okay, so... All of that being said, we we went through the entire movie. We have like a little bit of time left. What else do you want to say about this movie for you? Okay, so uh, quick things I just want to say is that, um, you know, this is the only Black UFO movie I can think of, the Black alien movie I can think of ever. Jordan Peele said, I wanted to make 
I, w- I wanted to make the movie that I would be excited to see if someone else made it. And he's like, I've never seen black people deal with the aliens before. And I just wanted a realistic portrayal of that. Um, if you look at Get Out, if you look at Us, if you look at Nope, there's a deer in Get Out, there's rabbits in Us, and then there's horses in, in Nope. So like this kind of consistency of the representation of animals throughout his films it's something that's consistent um i mean i do have a few theories like does oj live what does the blue shoe mean like are the viewers an allegory for audiences that kind of consume and spit out content faster than you know directors can make it like there's all these things that i'm i'm reading online that i'm really curious about and i specifically the blue shoe i wanted to know if you had any any ideas about that i did i thought i just thought it was to me, it was significant in the sense that it was just a kind of outlier phenomenon. I actually don't think there's anything else going on other than it was this weird once in a lifetime thing where it's like, why would that happen? Why is it that way? Yeah. And again, it's just like the, the that's what made it special, but also it's something that only um, Ricky got to experience, yeah. but he can tell that story over and over again. I, yeah, I thought of it as it being the bad miracle of that day. Yeah, the bad miracle. The, the whole movie is about bad miracles. So, yeah. Okay. Right, I, and I also love, I love the idea. I think Nope is interesting to me because A, it is like kind of like nail on the head on Black people dealing with aliens. Uh-uh. Like, like, nope. like, they're like that Nope. Nope. <laughs> but then also, again, the me, the movie is really asking the question, was it all worth it? And again, the answer is no, it's not. So, and but to to the film's point, like even after watching this movie, even knowing everything we know about the dangers of spectacles, like we still do it. The, the thing that Jordan Peele said inspired him to make this movie was bottlenecking in traffic. He was like, the reason why this traffic is oh. slowing down is because all of us want to slow down a little bit and get a look. And he and was see, like, that's that's what's interesting. I'm not that person. I'm speeding up because like, again, I don't I don't want to watch. And I think that's interesting yeah. because I'm not someone who has like, the same thirst for spectacle. So yeah. anyway, all right. Well, thank you guys yeah. so much for giving us your time. Uh, we hope that you loved it. If you have theories or anything else that you want to talk to us, reach out to us on all the places at Bro Meets World. Um, we're kind of wrapping this up really quickly. Oh, but oh. we appreciate it. I just real quick, Siege, your recommendations, your rating. Do you have a, a grade for this movie? Uh, as I said, I'm gonna give this movie. I'll give it like a B minus. I'll give it. A, I'll give it a B plus. How about that? Absolutely, love it. Love right. it. Well, we will be back soon with our regularly scheduled programming, season six of Boy Meets Boy Meets World. We're gonna be discussing soon, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I'm Tony Curtis. I'm Siege. Later, bros. Later, bro. When this boy meets world.